Thank you for listening to Ivy Podcast, where we feature weekly leadership conversations with thought leaders and industry experts. Now, here is your host, John Karsibayev. Hi, my name is Mike Tugnati. I'm the founder and CEO of Raindance Partners. Mike, thanks so much for making time to join us on the Ivy Podcast today. Uh, before we talk a little bit about your current company and your area responsibilities, give us a thumbnail version of your career to date. Sure. So um, I'm actually a molecular biologist. I started doing research at Genentech. Um, but I've always had an affinity for the sales side of, or the product side of research. And so these would be the products that scientists use to develop drugs. Um, so I started working for a company that's called Fisher Scientific. It's now called Thermo Fisher Scientific. And it's a multi-billion dollar sort of Costco of science, science products. Um, I became very interested while working for Fisher Scientific in the field of genomics. And so some of our, my customers were pioneers in developing tools in genomics. Um, so I started studying that more and more and uh, um, uh, became the Western Regional Sales Manager for a company called Opron Biotechnologies, now Eurofins, which manufactures synthetic DNA that is used in a variety of genomic applications by scientists. Um, one of my customers was a small little customer in um, San Diego and they started buying a lot of my products. I went down and visited them and uh, it turned out it was more of a job interview and it's, the company's called Illumina, which today is the uh, life science leader in DNA sequencing and worked for uh, Illumina and held various uh, leadership positions in sales and marketing um, and started designing in my mind, recruiting and what I liked about recruiting and working with people and building companies and I thought I could probably do recruiting maybe a little bit better than some of the other recruiters that are in the life science biotechnology industry. Um, because I know a lot about the industry, I know a lot about the science and a lot of it is about specificity. So I, I then after Illumina started Raindance Partners and we've been going for uh, close to 15 years now. Well, that's exciting. And thanks for sharing the little bit of a background, quite diverse. Raindance Partners, tell us a little bit about the name. Where's that coming from? Well, it actually um, feeds back to a book I read many years ago by Jeffrey Fox, and it's called How to Become a Rainmaker. And it's a very short, simple read. Um, makes a lot of sense, though. It really resonates. And how, like, what is a rainmaker? And rainmakers are people who are salespeople or revenue generators for company companies. And it's just, you know, how, what's your thought process and formula and discipline and technique and it was just a, a really captivating book that I started thinking in the beginning I'll design my recruiting company where we can help biotech companies hire sales and marketing people we can help them hire the rainmakers and so from that I thought of Raindance Partners. That's pretty cool it's quite creative and very catchy um, so you've been in staffing industry and recruiting for quite some time Share with us, and you, you've seen the industry evolve in all kinds of different directions, I'm sure through, you know, especially lately. Uh, what are the different trends and ideas that really excite you these days from, from the industry perspective? What do you see as the next kind of big thing? Well, I think, you know, when, when I started 
roughly 15 years ago. I, I never recruited before in my life. And so to me, simply it was, um, you know, if I'm on a, let's say an executive role, well, back then I was only doing sales rep roles. Um, I would then, you know, study, well, who are the competitors to this company and pick up the phone and call the competitors and find out who their sales reps are. And I track everything on a spreadsheet. And that's really all we had. Um, and then a few years later, you know, LinkedIn came onto the scene and that was really helpful. We can actually use it as a research tool. You could communicate with people. And that was really fascinating. And, and LinkedIn has really evolved. Um, then we started building our own proprietary database, but then um, software as a service came about and became popular where a lot of these databases now, um, they're very dynamic, they're very automated, they integrate with other databases and systems and tools out there. Now today, what's exciting to me is AI. And this is where we can, where algorithms can be applied, uh, where you can actually mine for candidates very precisely and, and, and find candidates that you otherwise would have to maybe manually do on LinkedIn. And so that's what we're exploring today. We're studying that. We haven't yet really selected an AI product. There's quite a few of them out there and it's, it really is in its infancy for recruiting. But I think that's where a lot of this is going, where in terms of researching for candidates and uh, talent, um, it's really about empowering tools like AI and also there are still software as a service type tools like LinkedIn that um, can be used. But still, even though that I'm pointing out AI as something that's exciting to me, at the end of the day, this is a people business. So AI might be applied to do the research portion where we can find talent and identify talent, but it really comes down to that personal relationship of interviewing talent, engaging talent, building that personal rapport with, with the candidate and, and carrying that through the process. So I never really see that going away. I don't ever really see recruiting or recruiters being replaced by AI. I just think it's gonna be a really nice tool to have. Right, absolutely. No, those are definitely very interesting trends. Um, as, you, as you collaborate with the hiring companies um, and, you know, for you, probably in, is of importance to study their 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 organizational culture, what type of environment that they're fostering, and try to match that with the particular skill set and personality of the candidate that you're trying to you know place at that particular organization. Talk to us a little bit about that process. How do you help both sides find that right match, and what are some of the practical recommendations when it comes to really help organizations build that culture of innovation through exceptional candidates. Right. So that is tricky because, you know, we're dealing with soft skills and there's a lot of variability in culture. I, I think what it really comes down to when we are given a search by a client, it's asking those cultural questions, describe your culture today, describe your culture where you would like it to go. And let's, you know, I'm trying to capture some real key adjectives and examples of the company culture. Um, and also um, just, I think real life examples are important that they can allude to. Um, so I, I try to capture this information. And then when I'm talking to candidates, there's a bit of a mapping exercise where I'm also asking them examples of how they handled situations and um, asking them to describe themselves, to describe how they work with others, you know, um, describe, give me a behavior. These are more behavioral questions as to maybe when they um, had adversity at hand and how they dealt with that. And, and for me, it's more of a feel as to how that culture is really working out with that candidate versus what my, my client is looking for. 
And it's having a good barometer on both sides to see if we have a good fit. Um, and I have to say though, that there are a lot of companies where, um, that are young that we deal with. We, we do recruiting for Fortune 500 companies, but we also do a lot of recruiting for Series A funded companies. And in those smaller companies, a culture, a culture is evolving so rapidly because they're hiring so quickly. It's sort of hard to keep tabs on it. And so we really want to understand at the C-suite what they're looking for, what's their vision, what, it, what are they trying, what type of employees do they want culturally? Um, so one example of that is I have a client and I was talking to their COO and I said, Give, uh, describe to me when, you, when you're looking for a candidate or talking to a candidate, what are you looking for first? And he said, kindness. And he goes, we really want to hire kind people and that's going to help us as we grow from 200 employees to 500 employees, um, as long as we make sure that they work well with others and they're very kind, respectful people. Plus, of course, we want all their experience too. But if we can just keep that intact alone, we're going to get through this. And so, you know, <laughs> that that's what we look for is we just do really that mapping exercise. Yeah, that's very interesting. And you're right. It's definitely not an easy thing to accomplish because there is no right formula specifically for that. Every scenario is very different. And so with the current state of the market when it comes to staffing and talent acquisition, it's, as I understand, a candidate-driven market with so much opportunity out there. And with the war for talent, so to say, uh, now transitioning into more of a war or retention, I guess, uh, where the companies, you know, some succeeding in the space and some struggling, being able to create an environment that really retains, not only attracts, but retains the top talent. What are your thoughts on that? Where, what are some of the pitfalls to avoid? Just talk to us in general on how do you advise some of your client companies when it comes to succeeding in retaining the top talent? Sure. And today is a little different than it was maybe more than a year ago before COVID. Um, so the, the work environments change. And in some cases, one would say perhaps for the better because workers now um, can work from their home or from pretty much anywhere. And um, with that, it offers a lot of benefits, I think, to the worker to be more in tune with their family, to be more in tune with, you know, their own personal life. They're not, as, they're not, you know, commuting as much. And, um, but the, the flip side, the hard part is that the DNA of the company, the culture of the company is getting much harder to translate um, to the workers, especially to the new workers that they hired through the pandemic and, and continue to hire today. And so there is a war on talent. Unemployment's at an all-time low. Um, you know, we're finding too that uh, you know we'll talk to people, and you know they're like, "Well, you're like the fifth recruiter that's called me today." Um, and so, you know, and a lot of CEOs of companies are recognizing that their people are are being um, solicited on an ongoing basis, and it is a challenge. Um, so, what I think a lot of companies are trying to do is they're trying to. Um, enrich that employee's experience as best as possible, even if many of them are working from home. Um, they're, I think, trying to give them more freedoms, more empowerment, and more purpose in their job and the mission of what the company is trying to accomplish. And, you know, a lot of this is, I think there is a Zoom fatigue going on for sure with a lot of folks. And so sometimes those freedoms aren't necessarily, or these, these cultural influences that these companies are, are trying to provide to their employees um, it's challenging to provide those with, hey, we're going to have another Zoom. We'd like you to be on at the end of the day so we can talk about culture. Um, it's more, um, you know, giving them, I think, more freedoms and structure, but more room to create, more room to um, accomplish and feel very purposeful 
in their roles and trying to retain that 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 creativity. Um, so it, it is a problem. It's it's definitely a problem right now because um, I think um, a lot of people are being solicited, and I think um, not only are companies trying to grow and hire people, but they're trying to retain their people as best as possible. Right, right, absolutely. No, it's definitely an interesting dynamic, especially with the current market conditions. It's going to be interesting to see how things play out in the next period as well. Um, mm-hmm. So as you partner kind of with with the both sides of the equation, meaning you work with the hiring organization, hiring managers, and also you work closely with the candidates, talk to us about that preparation process as you prepare both sides for the interview. Uh, I would imagine it's a it's a dialogue uh, on both sides and setting those expectations. I think it's becomes of of utmost importance. So tell us a little bit about that process that you have in place. What strategies you have that really helps you increase your batting average? Oh, okay. This is the fun part. So what I really love about recruiting is the research, and of course, meeting exciting people. But the power of recruiting is really about understanding your client, who your client is looking for, and, um, and being very specific with that. And so what we do is what's called an intake call or a Zoom with our client. We ask a, you know, a series of questions. So they'll provide to us a job description nine times out of 10. And we'll develop questions prior to that call, um, additional questions that we have you know, about the role, maybe about, you know, the structure of the organization, the objectives, you know, um, just a variety of different things that we really want to go deep to understand, um, not just this role and its function, but how does this function relate um, to others within the company and to the mission of the company. And we really try to be as precise as possible to understand the exact candidate that they're looking for and who would be, let's say, the candidate that's a 10 out of 10, but, you know, where can we also find new candidates that might be a seven out of 10 that are still acceptable because we want to have a bit of a range um, so that we can submit a variety of candidates that map as closely as possible to what um, the client is looking for. So the intake call, that first call with a client is the absolute most important call because then from there we can base our research off of that. And so this is our candidate research or maybe better, we can call them prospects for now instead of candidates. But from there, what we like to do is take a deep dive into the tools that we have available, LinkedIn Recruiter being one of them, but we also have our own proprietary database that we've been curating over for the past 15 years of approximately 13,000 people that have had some interaction with Ringdance Partners. So we'll go through that database, LinkedIn, a variety of other tools that we have, and you build a master list of these prospects that we think would align well to what the hiring manager communicated with us in that initial intake call. And so sometimes that list may only be 20, 25 prospects deep. Other times it could be 100 to 200 prospects deep. And then from there becomes the messaging part. And that's where we like to first message them maybe with like an email or an in-mail um, in, in, in a you know, passive way, but you know, in such a way where they can recognize that this is a personal message to me. This is not just a message that a lot of people received. And so you have to actually take some time and care and how you develop your message to that prospect. Um, this is a message that um, needs to point maybe some key attributes or things out about their LinkedIn where they recognize that this message is for me. But if that research was done really well, um, we usually, and that message is constructed really well, we have a very, very high response rate. And so our response rate, like let's say on LinkedIn, for example, is over 33%. That may sound like low, 
but in link, the average on LinkedIn is around 13%. And it was so high that LinkedIn actually called us and said, what are you guys doing? And they actually wrote a white paper on us. And it was really simple. You have to keep your message under a certain amount of characters because 80% of all people are actually gonna look at these messages on their cell phone. So you can't be overly wordy. You have to be communicating with the right audience. And so these are prospects that have been curated from us doing our research. And you know, it relates this job function that we're engaging them with actually relates directly to them. And so it's, it's, it's you know, something that aligns to, to what they're currently doing and then we, you know, have a few different um, words in the message that will talk about, um, you know, the job at hand, the mission, the purpose at hand, but enough to sort of like get them really interested and yet still keep it personable. And then we like to have, we like to also give them a piece of us. And what I mean by that is, here's my cell phone number, here's access to my Google calendar where you can schedule a time. You know, we use their name a couple of times in the message and just the combined sum of all of this created a very high response rate. And that's when we're connecting with somebody, let's say on LinkedIn Recruiter, and we do it with somebody that's in our own database that we've been curing, curating here at Rain Dance Partners. These are, you know, a population of people that they've already had some interaction with our company, they know us. Usually our response on that is between like 50 to 60% far greater. And so if you're contacting, if you've done your research the right way and you're contacting the right audience, remember the foundation that research began with that intake call with the, with the hiring manager. Um, and you know, we're contacting the right, the right audience, the right prospects, and we have the right message and we have that high of a response rate out of, let's say, for example, 50 candidates that I contact, I'm gonna get somewhere between like 17 and 25 responses. Some of those are gonna be rejections. Some of those are gonna be like signing up on our calendar in an automated way to actually have a discussion with us. Um, for those that are the non-responders, we it's a little bit of a rinse and repeat. We'll go back to those folks and we'll send another message that's unique and say, hey, you know, the other day I messaged you, I just wanted to touch base with you. It's a much more simpler message. So they know that this again was really meant for them. If they don't respond to that, if they're really a top, top candidate, then I think it really merits a phone call. Um, and we actually have tools that we can find people's cell phone numbers and personal emails too. And so that, and it, we, you know, we might call maybe our top three to 10 that we've developed on the list and we're not badgering them or really soliciting them. We're just trying to have a career discussion with them. Um, and then, you know, if you don't get that high of a response rate on that first group, you go back, you do more research, you add more people to the list, you repeat the process again, and then comes the interview with the candidate. And that's where you know, based on, again, that original intake call at the hiring manager, we develop screening questions when we have that intake call at the hiring manager. And so I might have, you know, um, experiential and behavioral screening questions that I develop. We talked a little bit earlier about cultural. I have those questions in there too. And I'll try to not only introduce the opportunity, listen to the candidate to understand uh, about what their career objectives are and be, have it more of a consultative discussion, but also try to get our questions answered and really do that mapping exercise and trying to you know, get them the non-job seeker to get excited now to become the job seeker. And actually in that same conversation, you know, as we're trying to convince someone to you know, entertain or, or explore this job, we're also trying to qualify them both experientially and culturally through that. So it takes a little bit of skill in that first conversation because you don't have that much time. Sometimes you have to have multiple conversations with the candidate to really map it out just right. And then when you submit your candidate to the client, um, you have all the information you need, including their resume, 
but all the information you need to really show where this candidate aligns to their needs. Um, I think the next important thing to do after that and, um, is once you've submitted a population of candidates to the hiring manager is to have what I call uh, another like touch base or touch point call where we can go through those candidates, identify, let's say for example, I submitted five, who are the ones that align uh, to what the hiring manager is looking for and understand why and who doesn't and understand why. Let's say there's two out of five that, that, that align very perfectly. Um, what we wanna do is then iterate and optimize. And so while those two are being carried through the interview process, I'm gonna go back out and do more research, but I'm gonna find more people that align and meet and exceed those two that they're carrying through. So I wanna create a pipeline that now has five, six, seven, or eight hireable candidates and where they're all all-star candidates. In a perfect world, that's what I would like to do. So that iterative step is so important in that, in that communication with your client because recruiting is not just an agency doing their job. It's, it's a combined sum of both the client and the agency working together and communicating at a frequency such that you can move the needle, you can, you can progress the project, and you can just continue to optimize and get that pipeline more rich. Right. No, absolutely. The, and thanks for breaking that down. It's, it's definitely a, a two-way street at the end of the day that without the feedback, it's very hard to operate and make things better and improve in certain areas. And also for the candidate side, having that, you know, the feedback from the hiring managers and relay that, I think it's of utmost importance. So the communication becomes, you know, uh, you know paramount from that perspective. Um, in terms of the resources that you utilize on daily basis that help you stay up to date or ahead of the curve when it comes to research and reading and basically self-actualization for that matter, share with us your sources. Uh, what's your content diet is looking like? Content diet. So there's a variety. So I, I love Crunchbase and I love Aller. Um, because that tells me who is getting funded and for how much. And those are just daily news alerts that come up. And so that's good for us to see trends and, and what technologies are receiving funding, but also that helps us for business development because if we are running a little bit low on new searches in the company, we can then contact um, those companies and see if we could pick up searches. So that's really good. Um, the other is there's a really good, um, in, the, in the world of life sciences or biotechnology, there's something called Genome Web. Genome Web has been around forever. And Genome Web has a lot of interesting articles and news updates on a daily basis about different trends and what's happening in the industry. Um, and then there's also uh, BioWorld, and that's another uh, place I go to and where I just stay really fluent on what's happening in the industry. No, those are great recommendations, and we'll make uh, some of these notes available in the, the show notes. Um, mm -hmm. And last question I have for all of my guests is, what, what, uh, what are you currently reading in terms of a book, and what is one book that you always recommend to others, and why is that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So, um, so I always recommend those books by Jeffrey Fox, because he's not only written How to Become a Rainmaker, he's written How to Become the CEO and how to become a marketing leader. And they're just really fascinating reads. And so there was a time that, you know, when I was in sales prior to recruiting, um, I would, every time I hired a new salesperson, I gave them the book, How to Become a Rainmaker. And I think that's actually a, a really good book um, that transcends across all industries. And then actually I'm between books right now. So sort of funny. Um, I say, people say, well, what are you reading? I say, oh, well, I'm reading a lot of emails right now. 
but I am I'm a little bit uh, between books at the moment. And uh, I just seem, I, I have to balance things a little better because um, after, you know, working sometimes 10, 11, 12 hours a day um, and you're reading constantly, I just sort of have to give my mind a little bit of a break. And so I'm not necessarily reading, I'm actually listening to podcasts. And that is my content diet. I love, I love your podcast. I've been listening to a lot of your shows lately. Um, but also I like a show called How I Built This, which um, features entrepreneurs and Guy Raz is the moderator. And, you know, I'll go to the gym in the morning and I'll listen to a podcast while I'm working out. And that fires me up for my day. And, and it also, it not only fires me up for my day, but like, you know, you really learn stories. You really learn of the struggles of, of other entrepreneurs that have created successful companies and you hear about their journey and highs and lows and how they did it. And, you know, you, you realize that a lot of this is hard work. A lot of this is luck as well and timing. And you always hear that from um, entrepreneur to entrepreneur that started some of the most successful companies. And so, um, you know, the point is, is enjoy what you do and work hard. And that's what I learned from these podcasts and just gets me going for the day. Well, I appreciate the plug. Now I know that for a fact we have two listeners, uh, my mom and yourself as well. So <laughs> that's great. No, those are great recommendations. I can definitely relate to. I'm a big podcast listener during my workouts or during, you know, my early morning routine as well. Uh, so definitely thanks for those recommendations. Mike, can't thank you enough for your time today. Very short, but super insightful conversation. I personally learned quite a bit. What I love doing with a lot of my guests is do another recording in about a year to see how much have changed and transpired so that we can revisit the conversation from a year ago and see everything we've discussed. Does that still apply? Thanks, Jan. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Ivy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our RSS feed on ivypodcast.com and all major podcasting platforms like Spotify and iTunes. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating on iTunes.